The following lecture was delivered at the 8th Annual National Jewish Retreat, a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture and encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Ari Solish is the founder and director of Atlanta's in-town Jewish Academy. A maverick thinker and orator, Rabbi Solish was also the managing editor at Kahoot Publication Society in New York, where he devoted himself full-time to adult education and Jewish outreach. Rabbi Solish sits on the steering committee of Torah Studies, the JLI project that produces weekly classes that are delivered in over 300 cities. He will now present a lecture entitled, Living a Superhuman Life. What is the definition of a genius? And of course the answer is, an average student with a Jewish mother. Okay, but I really want to begin with some, some, some real questions. Um, these are questions that I've thought about and questions that perhaps you have thought about. And I think they, um, they're relevant questions to, to, to discuss. First question is, why are we so unhappy? Now, when I say we, I don't mean anybody in this room, of course. Chas v'sham, God forbid. But in general, as a society, we are not as happy as we should be. We're not as happy as we ourselves would like to be. And it's puzzling because when you take a look at, when you take a look at the world around us and the amazing gifts that we have, the blessings that we have, talking about technology, access to technology. You can, if you have a smartphone, and, and who doesn't, right? You have a phone like this, you can access the world's information. The information of not only this era, but of all eras. When you talk about technology, technology, it's unbelievable. Information, the medical advances. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about what we have access to as human beings. I was reading uh, in the flight over from Atlanta, so they have those in-flight magazines, and they had a whole article on these 3D printers. You guys familiar with the 3D printers? You can print stuff. You don't need to buy stuff. You buy something that then prints stuff. You can print stuff. A corkscrew, a toy, whatever it is, you print stuff. It's unbelievable the times that we're living in. And yet, and yet, we aren't, you would expect, we would walk around with grins in our faces, happy, go lucky, on top of the world. It's not the case. It's not the case. We know all too well that it's not the case, that there's still this unhappiness that, that we have. And it's not just Jews. <laughs> Even though we like to quetch. You know, they say, what's the definition of a well-balanced Jew? Somebody with a chip on both of their shoulders. You know what, the, uh, what, what a waiter says at a kosher restaurant? Is anything okay? So, I mean, but, we, but, but it's, not only, it's not only us. It's everybody. You walk around, people aren't as happy as they should be, and the question is why we have so much. It's one question. Another question. Why are there so many political scandals? You ever wonder? You ever wonder this question? Why are there so many political scandals? No matter where you look, no matter what's going on, political scandal. There was a scandal, and then, and then wait, and then there's a cover-up, and then they're lying about the scandal, and then how are we going to get out of the scandal, another scandal on top of the scandal? Scandals. And the question is, where's the leadership? Where are the true leaders? What's with all the scandals? And unfortunately, in, in at least the very, the latest scandals, we have unfortunately, uh, you know, quite a number of, 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 of fellow members of the tribe involved with these scandals. And the question is, what's behind all these scandals? What's behind the lack of leadership? And it could be argued, I must say, it could be argued, you know, you can say, well, you think these scandals are new? They're always scandals, but they didn't have technology, right? They didn't have they didn't have um, 
media and blogs. You know, TMZ wasn't around and Drudge Report wasn't around. So CNN wasn't, you know, 24-7. So you didn't know about all the scandals, but of course they were happening. And yet, and yet, even if it's not a new thing, even if it's not a new thing, the question is why is it so difficult, so profoundly difficult to find good leadership? It seems very elusive. Another question. Why is it that historically it seems that Jews have never been filled with an intense bitterness, anger, or rage over the persecution that we faced? Think about it. Think about it. We were driven from our homeland. We've been through crusades, inquisitions, expulsions, under defas. We've been through pogroms, holocausts. No matter where you turn, throughout Jewish history, there always seems to be something, something that goes against, that targets us, a people, a nation, a continent that targets us and persecutes us. And yet, as I mentioned a moment ago, it does not seem like we as Jews have been filled historically with this sense of rage and anger and bitterness. And then you look around and you look at others. And there are others who have, unfortunately, tragically also faced persecution and hardship and slavery. And it seems that for others there is this sense of profound anger, of bitterness and rage. And the question is why? Why is the Jewish response so different? Why aren't we, why don't we carry around these feelings typically? There's, of course there are exceptions, but typically as a people, it's not the way, it's not the Jewish way to be filled with anger and rage. Why? Another question. Why are we failing at instilling self-esteem within our kids? You know, it's been nearly, it's been, I think, over four decades since the self-esteem movement was first launched. And in that time, countless books have been published, countless talks have been given about how to instill our children with healthy self-esteem. And it's interesting when you think about it, when you look around, it doesn't seem to be working. Are our kids, do they want, in society today, do our children walk around with more confidence than they once did, significantly more? You know, in fact, if you Google self-esteem movement failure, you'll get about three and a half million hits, three and a half million search results. And many experts have said that the whole self-esteem movement the last four decades has been a failure. So what went wrong? Such a good idea. Instill our kids with self-esteem. They'll be confident. They'll walk through life impervious to all of the ups and downs. Sounds fantastic. What went wrong? Another question. Who's keeping track? <laughs> okay. Number five. Good. I'm also keeping track. Another question. Why is it that for the most, that, why is it that for most of us, the vast majority of the knowledge that we'll gain throughout our lifetime happens when? When? When we're children. In the first five, ten years of life. Think about how much we learn. Think about how much we learn in those early years. I mean, you start off knowing not that much. I know before, if you've been to JLI classes and other classes, you know before the person is born, the soul is taught the entire Torah. Yeah, we know. And then we forgot it. When we come into this world consciously, we don't know much. 
A few years down the line, we're walking, we're talking, we have opinions, our motor skills are, are, you know, we're moving and shaking. It's amazing. I said, we have some babies in the room, right? The amount, the amount of learning that occurs over the first several years of life for most of us is never replicated again throughout the entirety of our lifetimes. The amount of learning and information that we gain in the first five, ten years of life is never to repeat it. And the question is why? Why is it that we learn so much when we're young? The simple answer is, well, there's a lot to learn. And when we hit a certain age, we know everything. We don't know everything. We don't know. That's, that's a terrible answer. We don't know everything. We stop learning. We don't stop. I know we're all here to learn, right? We're here to learn. But we slow down significantly. It's easier to learn when we're younger and we learn more when we're younger. And the question is why? Another question. How is it really possible to maintain, as Judaism does maintain, that Torah, which is the single most comprehensive and detailed inhibitor of human freedom, ever to appear on the landscape of, of society and, and of planet Earth, how is it possible for Judaism to maintain that Torah is the key to human freedom? Makes no sense. The one work that will tell you when to get up, how to get up, what to do when you get up, in what order to do all of those things when you get up, what to say when you get up, how to go to the bathroom, what to say after you go to the bathroom, when to eat, how to eat, what to say before you eat and after you eat, that this document that dictates all of these rules and regulations, how is it possible? How is it possible to say, to maintain, as Judaism does, that Torah is the key to human freedom? The key to OCD, yeah. Maybe, but the freedom? Some good questions? I thought so. I thought so. So I have an, I didn't tell you this before. I probably should have told you this before. I actually have an answer. But you know what's interesting? I said I have an answer. There's one answer. You know you have a good answer when you can answer a lot of questions with that answer. If you can answer a lot of questions with one answer, it's a pretty good answer. So there's one answer. To get to the answer, we have to learn something first. It's always strings attached. <laughs> it's a good string. We're learning. In order to get to the answer, we have to first study a Mishnah. Mishnah in Tractate Avot, also known as Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers. And we're not just going to learn any Mishnah. In my opinion, this Mishnah is required reading material for any person that inhabits this planet. Because it teaches us how to truly live a superhuman life. A superhuman life. The Mishnah begins. I'm going to read the first few lines in Hebrew. You don't have the Hebrew, but bear with me. Ben Zoma Omer. Ben Zoma said, first of all, who was Ben Zoma? You know what his real name was? Well, Ben Zoma means the son of Zoma. What was his first name? It wasn't Ben. Okay, Ben Zoma's name was Shimon. Why was he called Ben Zoma? There's a few different reasons. One, some say because he passed away at a young age before he reached, before he, uh, he received his rabbinic ordination. And so therefore, they didn't want to not call him Rabbi Shimon Benzoma. So they just called him Benzoma. They just left out his first name. Some say that there were many Shimons who lived during his era. And to distinguish, you know, like in Chabad, you know, 
communities or Chabad schools like in Crown Heights. There's a lot of Mendels. You can imagine, right? There's a few. More than one. Definitely more than one. So you have, you might just call them by the last name. So Shimon, Benzoma, they just called them Benzoma because there were a bunch of, bunch, bunch of Shimons. Benzoma Omer, Benzoma said, Ezehu Chacham. Halomed mi kol adam. Benzoma says as follows. Who is wise? He who learns from every person. Continue in the English. As it is stated, King David writes in Psalms, From all those who have taught me, I have gained wisdom. Indeed, your testimonies are my conversations. My conversation. We're going to continue. We're going to come back to all of these details. Benzoma continues in the mission. He says, Ezehu Gibar. Who is strong? Hakovesh es Yitzro. He who subdues his inclination, referring here specifically to the evil inclination. As it is stated in Proverbs, King Solomon writes, He who is slow to anger is better than the strong man. And he who masters his passions is better than one who conquers a city. Third quality. Ezehu Ashir. Who is rich? Hasameach Bechelko. He who is happy with his lot. As it is stated again in the book of Psalms, when you eat of the labor of your, of the labor of your hands, happy are you and it shall be well with you. Happy are you in this world and it shall be well with you in the world to come. The final quality that Benzoma mentions Ezehu Mechubad. Who is honored? And his reply, Hamachabed Esabrios. He who honors others. As it is stated in the book of Samuel, indeed, those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be degraded. That's the Mishnah. Pretty straightforward. We're going to spend a few minutes going through the particular qualities, just so we have a firm understanding of what exactly he's saying. Benzoma begins by talking about the quality of wisdom. Chachma. Ezehu Chacham. Who is wise? Who is the one that is in possession of the quality of Chachmah? How many of you are familiar with the Kabbalistic Sfirot? I guess by raise of hand. Chachmah. The first three Sfirot. The three, prim- the three intellectual powers. On a cosmic level and on a personal level. Both in the universe and in the micro, in the macrocosmic universe and in the microcosmic universe of your own soul, your soulscape. The first three energies are intellectual powers. Chachma, Bina, and Dat. Translated in English terribly as wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And it's a terrible translation. I'm going to give you a better one in a second. And if you may know that the acronym for the, the you take the first letters of Chachma, Bin, and Dat, what do you get? Chabad. All right. So we have Chachma, Bina, and Dat. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Scrap those translations. Feel free to cross them out in any book that you have. You can fill in these. Chachma is intellectual conception. Bina is intellectual comprehension. And that is intellectual connection. Conception, comprehension, connection. The three C's. What is Chachma? Let's talk about the first two, Chachma and Bina. What is Chachma and what distinguishes Chachma from Bina? Explained in the Kabbalah, in the mystical tradition, and in the, the, the works of Hasidism, that Chachma... Chachma is humility. 
Chachma is marked by the trait of humility. If you take a look, again, in the, uh, in the little handout that I prepared, under the caption where it says, A Humble Mind, the mystics tell us that if you take the Hebrew letters that form the word Chachma, and you do a little switcheroo of the letters, you can form the phrase Koachma, which means the power of what? The power of what is a vague phrase. What does that mean? It kind of means exactly that. It's the power of the question. It's the power of openness. It's the power of opening oneself up to information that one does not currently have. That's what Chachma is. Chachma is your ability. It's your ability to open up your mind to something, to information, to knowledge, to awareness that you don't currently have. It's the humility that you have to recognize that you don't know everything, including that which you're trying to figure out. And it's that knowledge, it's that awareness of the fact that you don't know, you don't have the answer. And the humility that that engenders, that, that is, that's what opens up the mind to the influx of a higher knowledge, of a higher awareness. Bina, which is the second intellectual power, is comprehension. The information is in front of you. It's in a book. You're listening to a class. There's information being given to you. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to create the information. It's being given to you. It's about understanding the information. It's about using your mind to understand the information, which means that you're using your qualities, your power, your intellectual prowess to figure stuff out. Not to figure stuff out, to understand something well. As opposed to Chachma, which is the recognition that I don't have the answer. I don't know. And it's that humility that opens up the mind. Think about it like this. Let me, let me give you a, a way to understand this. Think about your head. Think about your brain inside your head. Your brain is kind of stuck inside. Think about it. There's no escape. It's very, it's boxed in, literally boxed in. And the only way it gains information are through the openings that you have in the skull. Right? Imagine your skull is completely closing in your brain and you have, thank God, some holes for the eyes, for the ears, for the nose, for the mouth, and information leaks in through those holes. Think about this, the tiny, minuscule percentage of, inf of the information that's out there in the universe that happens to trickle into your brain through, right? Think about it. How often are your eyes open, ears open, etc., your senses open to perceive things? How much do you know? How much do we all know of the information that's around us, around the world, in the universe, from all time, from all of history? Tiny percentage. It's not, it's not even on the map. Chachma is the awareness of precisely this concept. Is the awareness that we don't have all of the answers. We don't even have most of the answers. And it's that sense of humility that opens up the mind, really opens up a deeper power of the soul to gain a higher wisdom that typically is not accessible. It's almost like the elevator door is opening up for a moment and you can glimpse to the other side. Chachma is likened to a lightning flash that illuminates the dark background, the dark, a dark landscape. And for a moment, everything is clear. There's the lightning flash, you see everything closes again. What opens up the sky, so to speak? What opens up the door? It's your openness of mind. Chachma means that your mind is opening up to something greater than itself. Humility. Koachma. The power of what? The power to ask the question, what do I know? I don't have the answers. Let me open up my mind to something greater than what I, what I currently possess. It's the power of Chachma. Bina is, as I mentioned before, completely different. Bina is all about me figuring stuff out, using my mind to figure stuff out. Chachma is recognizing the limitations of my mind. So comes along Ben Zoma and what does he say? You know what? You know who? You know who's a, cha, a chacham? You know who has chachma? 
someone who is willing to learn from every person and from every experience. We know the famous teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, right? That every experience is a lesson to you. To you. Do we really look at every experience like that? It could be. Every lesson is definitely a learning experience. What does it depend on? How open you are to receiving that lesson. It's all about your openness. So what is chachma? Who is a chacham? Who is wise? If you're open. If you're open to learn. He who learns from every person. And the beautiful verse that he cites, the beautiful pasuk from Psalms, from Tehillim. It says, from all those who have taught me, I have gained wisdom. What's the key word there? All. From all those who have taught me, I have gained wisdom. Who can really say that? Because everyone teaches us stuff, whether good, bad, or ugly. Everyone's teaching us. Everything is teaching us. Can we really say we've learned from everyone? From every experience? That takes chachma. That takes true wisdom and openness to learn from every person. Indeed, he can, the verse continues, your testimonies are my conversation. Notice that your is capitalized. Whose testimonies? Hashem's testimonies. Te- Who are God's testimonies? What does that even mean? Your testimony, huh? Say it again. The way most commentaries understand, it's not referring to Torah, according to most commentaries. Your testimonies is a reference to fellow human beings. Why are they called testimonies? Because every human being bears testimony to the Creator. Every single human being is created in the image of the divine, is created with that divine imprint. Everyone bears testimony to Hashem, to something powerful greater than themselves. Do you see it in, do you see that in somebody else? If not, you gotta open up your eyes. Chachma, openness, be open to learning from every person, and as I mentioned before, also from every experience. I remember hearing a story. You know, you think about learning from every person. So the natural idea is you learn from their, you learn from their virtues what to do, you learn from their liabilities what not to do. I remember once hearing a story, that uh, a story that took place back in the day in Lubavitch, you know, back the city of Lubavitch, the old country where there was a mashpia, mashpia the yeshiva, the spiritual mentor of the yeshiva that was once publicly called out by one of his students at a fabrengen. And the student basically pointed out uh, what, he had cons- what, he, what the student considered to be an error, a behavioral error on the part of the mashpia, the part of the spiritual mentor, the rabbi, one of the rabbis in the yeshiva. And it was, he pointed out an, an embarrassing situation. And the other students, whom this was uttered in front of, they were all like taken aback. They were all like, oh, like, wow, chutzpah. A student calling out one of the teachers, one of the respected teachers. And, and they were also interested in, so what's the response, right? It's like, okay, now it's, now it's getting fun. After the, you know, the horror, the shock and horror, it's like, okay, let's, let's see what happens now. And what this mashpia said to the student is as follows. He said, when you, you're, you, in life you'll encounter many people. And everyone's got their... Mylot and chesronot. Everyone's got their virtues, their liabilities. And you're going to have a choice. In life, you can do one of two things. You can look at everyone's liabilities. This one doesn't pray as they should. This one doesn't give tzedakah as they should. This one doesn't do this mitzvah, that mitzvah. is not so kind to their spouse, to their kid, God forbid. This one has this liability, that liability. Fine, so I'm off the hook. I can have that liability. And you know what you'll end up with? All the bad stuff. Or, or you can choose to look at everyone's virtues. Find that person doesn't daven at length. But you know what? Such a kind heart. Such a generous disposition. Giving tzedakah, opening their home. to This one is a tremendous parent, a tremendous husband, a tremendous wife, etc. You look at everyone's virtues, guess what you'll end up with? The best of everybody. So he said to the student, it's your choice. Choose wisely. Depends what you want to be, right? What do you want? You want to get up, you want to, you want to be let off the hook? But who are you going to end up as? So the first point of Benzoma is, what is wisdom? Learning from everybody. Learning the good stuff from everybody. 
Let's continue. Who is strong? Ezehu Gibar. Who is strong? So he answered, what is strength? He who subdues his inclination. You know, in the Hebrew, again, let's, let's refer to, make a reference to the Sfirot. You have, after the three intellectual powers, you have three emotional powers, right? Not three emotional, sorry. You have seven emotional powers. What are the first two? Chesed and Gvura, right? Chesed, Gvura. What is Chesed? Loving kindness, giving. What is Gvura? Severity. Restriction. So on an energy level, flows of energy. Chesed is the flow outward. Gvura is a flow inward. Restriction. Now, the Hebrew word Gvura can mean restriction, severity. It can also mean strength. Right? Like Gibar. Shimshon HaGibar. Samson, the mighty. So gvura, might, is connected with gvura, the attribute of discipline, of restriction. Chesed is giving, gvura is withholding. What that means, discipline. I'm not going to give. I'm going to be conscious. I'm going to be disciplined in my giving. I'm going to withhold sometimes, maybe a lot of time. I'm going to be, that's discipline. Benzoma is making an unbelievable parallel. He's making an unbelievable connection. He's saying, who is one that is truly strong? Someone who possesses the attribute, the trait, the characteristic of discipline. What type of discipline? Self-discipline. It takes a lot of strength to withhold yourself. I mean, think of what... We're at, the, we're at the Jewish National Jewish Retreat, right? This is talk about the food here. Think about the restraint, the discipline, the gvura that we need. Standing at the buffet, it's like, like a vow. Am I going to go with? I got the chicken. I got the meat. I got the chicken and the meat. We got the desserts. Is anybody looking? If I grab the desserts first, like how's that going? Is it like are we a non-judgmental crowd or are people looking? Like, so first of all, very non-judgmental, but I did notice you in the back that you took. Now. So, Gvura, <laughs> according to Benzoma, Ezehu Gibar, who is mighty? Someone who has self-restraint, discipline. Someone who says, you know what? I could go for the second round of those little chocolate cake with the molten stuff in the inside. I could go for a second round. But tomorrow morning there's more. No. But, but I'm going to have some self-restraint, right? Gvura, discipline, as opposed to just, just letting it all go, letting it all hang out. Gvura, discipline, that is someone who is strong. And the amazing verse that he cites, he who is slow to anger is better than the strong man. A strong man may conquer cities, but slow to anger, that's real strength. To conquer yourself, that's real strength. And he who masters his passion is better than one who conquers the city. So Benzoma defines for us what strength really is. Wealth. Quality number three. The quality of wealth. Who is rich? You know what my answer is? Wait. Wait for it. Hold on. The que it's a simple question. It's not a comp I know it's complicated because it's Jewish stuff. But theoretically, it's a very simple question. Who is rich? Simply, what would you answer? Come on, give me the simple answer. Who's rich? Louder, I can't hear. I've got a mic, huh? Whoever's got the most dough in the bank account is the one who's rich. Who is rich? We've got to pull some records. Let's contact the NSA. Hey, what... what Right? What does everyone have? Boom, you know who's rich. That's wealth. Who is rich? Wait a second, Benzoma says. He was happy with his lot. All right, so now we're getting into a little bit of a interesting territory because, you know, I have here, have here on the handout a quote that's uh, attributed to various people, so I just put popular saying. Um, top of page three, anyone who says money can't buy happiness doesn't really know where to shop. 
Right? You've heard that before. Right? Anybody with me? Yes. Okay. Right? So if money can't buy habit, of course it can. You've got to know where to shop. However, the truth is, it's a Jewish concept and something that we maintain, is that money, money can't really buy happiness. Can't buy happiness. And in fact, you know, the, the truth is about money, that the more money you have, the more money you want. What is it? The Midrash. The next quote that I have here, he who has 100 desires 200. He who succeeds in acquiring 200 desires 400. So it's not that we're ever satisfied with what we have. We always want more. And what that drives us to is a place of unhappiness. We want more, we want more, we want more. And so the true definition of wealth is someone who's happy with what they have so that you can enjoy it. Otherwise, you're still miserable even though you have stuff. All right. There's, um, I have to, have to explain. No, no, we'll point this out a little bit later. Okay. No, we'll do it now. You know, there are certain qualities that, um, in material areas are a liability. Well, here's the, here's the, here's the rule of thumb. Something that's a liability in materialism is a virtue when it comes to spiritual matters. Which means as follows. When it comes to material matters, we say be happy with what you have. When it comes to spiritual matters, what do we say? Never be happy with what you have. The moment you're happy with what you have, you stop growing. And once you stop growing, you stop living. The definition of life, as Lubavitcher Rebbe said many times, life equals growth. If you're not growing, you're not living. Spiritually. When it comes to money, be happy with what you have. Be satisfied, content, enjoy it. When it comes to spirituality, never be content. You know, it said, some of the commentaries, a mystical way to understand the story of Lot, Lot's wife, turned to pillars. So remember the story? They're running away from stone, being overturned. She, the angel says, whatever you do, don't turn around. Whatever you do, don't turn around. Not just because Rabbi Epstein walked in. But he said to Lot's wife, whatever you do, he said to, to the whole family, don't turn around. And she's like, what? what? And she freezes. What's the deeper explanation? Deeper explanation is in life, we keep on moving. We're in a place that may be not such a great place, and we move on to another place. Here's the critical question. When we get to a better place, what do we do? Some of us have the tendency to look back. What does that mean? It means to look back and say, oh, I've made it. I'm so happy where I am. Oh, Baruch Hashem. Thank God. The old me is where I was, has gone up in flames, and now I'm in a better place. Guess what happens when you're satisfied with your progress? You turn into a pillar of salt. Say this, you have to keep on moving. Keep your head focused forward. And you've grown, and Sodom is behind you, but don't turn around and say, oh, look at that. I'm in such a better place. Keep on moving forward. Otherwise, you turn to a pillar of salt. That's when it comes to spiritual matters. When it comes to materialism, be happy with your lot. Be happy with what you have. And then you're rich. Let's talk about the last quality. Let's talk about the last quality. Who is honored? He who honors others. You know, in the translation, you don't really see the depth of what he's saying. I'll read it to you in the Hebrew again. Ben Zoma says, Ezehu mechubad hamechabed et habriot. Who is honored? He who honors the briot. What are briot? Creatures or creations. Don't say others. Don't say acherim. It says the creations or the creatures. What does that mean? You know, it's easy to honor the superstar. It's easy to honor the idol. It's easy to honor the pop star, the, uh, the, um, the actor, the athlete. It's easy to honor or the, me- it's easy to honor the mensch. Somebody who is truly deserving of honor. I'm not saying that the above mentioned were, were deserving of honor. It's easy, it's easy to honor those who evoke that. You know what Benzoma is saying? You know what it means to honor someone else? Honor the briot. Honor 
even somebody who has no other redeeming quality other than the fact that they're God's creations. Echoing what Hillel says in the first chapter of Ethics, be of the disciples of Aaron, of our own. Ohev shalom, love peace. Rodev shalom, pursue peace. Ohev et habriot, love the creatures. Let me carvan la Torah and draw them close to Torah. Love the creatures means that you love even those who have no other redeeming quality other than the fact that, they're, that, they're, that they were created by God. It's easy to honor someone who is honorable. It's not so easy when they don't have much going for them. But Zoma says, you want, to be, you want honor? Honor that guy. Honor that woman. Honor that person that no one else honors, that no one else gives another look at. Honor them, and you have honor. You know, there's an amazing story that was in one of the JLI courses about Rabbi Elazar and the ugly man. Anybody familiar with this story? I'll remind you. It's in the handout right here. All right, I'll read it quickly. Um, okay, the Talmud tells us that once... You see this page three, halfway through? Again, I apologize if you didn't get a copy. Um, once Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon, this is the great Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai of Lagba Omer fame, bone arrow, bonfire. So his son Rabbi Elazar was coming from Migdal Gadar, from the house of his teacher. He rode along the riverside on his donkey. He was feeling happy and elated because he had studied much Torah. He was feeling good about himself. There chanced to meet him an exceedingly ugly man who greeted him. Peace be unto you, my master. Shalom Aleichem, he says. Rabbi Elazar did not return his salutation, but instead said to him, how ugly this person is. Are all the people of your city as ugly as you? How you doing? I'm... It's like, well, I do not know, said the man. It's a good answer. I don't know. But go to the craftsman who made me and say to him, how ugly is the vessel which you have made? Story continues. The story continues. We don't need the rest of the story. Um, you can, for our purposes, the story, the story has served its purpose. Um, what does that mean? It means that the human being is a reflection, as we mentioned before, a reflection of God, a reflection of the craftsman. If you honor another, who are you truly honoring? craftsman and if you do the opposite of honoring of honoring the other right if you if you don't honor them but on the contrary if you degrade them then who are you degrading so that's and take a look at uh, at the first text that we had that has the mishnah where the verses that he cites are unbelievable. Look what he says. Who is honored? He who honors others. As it is stated, indeed, those who honor me, I will honor. God says, if you honor me, I'll honor you. What does it mean if you honor God? What does it mean if you honor God in this context? If you honor God's creations. God says, if you honor me by honoring my creations, I'll honor you. And those who despise me, and how do you despise God? Me should have been capitalized there. How do you despise God? By despising his creations. Those people shall be degraded. Those who despise me shall be degraded. Powerful words. Powerful words. And so here we have a, a, a tremendous teaching from the Mishnah. Tremendous teaching. Talks about wisdom, strength, wealth, and honor. So we've explained the Mishnah. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. What's the common thread that runs through all four themes? Wisdom, strength, wealth, and honor. What's the common theme? It's one theme. It's one of the most daring and revolutionary ideas of Judaism. Hmm? I like it. Unfortunately, we had to choose only one winner. <laughs> one that hasn't been mentioned yet. Now, all of these ideas are true. But I think there's one theme, there's one thread 
a general concept that runs through all four ideas. And this is the big idea. It's the same idea mentioned four times. The names have been changed. The dates have been changed. The locations have been changed. It's the same idea. And that is that society takes values, important, critical values, and puts them outside of ourselves. And Judaism takes those same values and puts them inside of ourselves. Judaism, like nothing else before or since, Torah democratizes the greatest values that we as human beings pursue. And the world tells us, if you want it, you got to run after it. And Judaism says, if you want it, you can own it. Let me explain. Wisdom. I'm going to start again. How do you gain wisdom? What does the world tell you? How do you gain wisdom? You got to go to the right schools. You got to have the right teachers. You got to study the right stuff. Because what is wisdom? The acquisition of knowledge and information. And where does that exist? Somewhere outside of you. And you have to go somewhere to get that information. And if you get it, then you're smart. Then you're wise. You know what Judaism says? It has nothing to do with anything outside of you. It has nothing to do with information that you don't have. You know what it's about? You know what wisdom is? It's an attitude. It's an attitude that you can have at any moment. The moment you have the attitude that you're open, that you're ready to learn, you're chacham. You're a chacham. You're wise. It's not about how much information you've gained, how much you've known, how much you've studied doesn't matter where you went to school. The world says you got to go to the right. It starts off in preschool. We know it starts off before preschool. It's about the right music while you were pregnant that the kid is listening to. And then it's the, we know this to be true. Don't tell me that. I, listen, I'm from the baby Einstein era. Who remembers that? There was a lawsuit against baby Einstein. They had a, they were like buying back DVDs. You know this? All right, this is off topic. But it's a, it starts from a young age. My oldest son, we, it was still like the baby. When I said I was in the baby, I said, I'm not that young. I'm just, but like my, my oldest son, like we thought we were doing well. We got him some baby Einstein. sounded Jewish. It was Einstein. <laughs> Classical music. Yeah, a, color shapes. Who could go wrong? Turns out probably didn't do anything. Anyway, but you starts off, you know, with the right preschool with the right, because then you have to get into the right kindergarten to get into the right elementary, lower elementary school, and middle school, and then, pre, and then high school, prep school, the Ivy League college, and then, oh, now you're smart because you studied, right? You studied so much. Who's wise? The one who has the most information, says the world. You know what Judaism says? Who's wise? The one who's most open to learn. Democratizing the value. Democratizing, listen democratizing wisdom. You can be wise. It doesn't matter where you went to school, how much you know. If you're open to learning from every experience, you are wise. You know how transformational that concept is? Which, by the way, explains why children learn so much and why we learn so much as, well, as when we were children because we were so open to learning. We were so curious. We realized that we didn't know a lot because we didn't. And we were open to learning. We had chachma. And then we got a little bit older, a little wiser. Not wiser. Not wiser as Judaism, as Torah defines chachma. We got a little smarter. We thought we got wiser. We, know, we knew more information. We figured, and then we said, you know, I know, I know what I need to know. I know what I need to know. And then we stopped learning. Because we stop being open. The moment Judas Benzoma says, you want to reclaim your wisdom, open up your mind. Open up your mind and be open to learning. And then you have Chachmah. It's not about how much you learn. It's not about how much information, where you went to school. It's about how open you are to the experience of learning. It is a transformational idea. It's not about anything outside of you. See, the world loves putting values right beyond your reach. Ooh, you want to be smart? Ooh, you went to the wrong school. Sorry, try again. 
Ooh, so close. Ah, oh, man, maybe next reincarnation, next incarnation. Judaism says it's inside your grasp. It's in your reach. Open up your mind. Open up your, 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 your curiosity and your wise. Chachma. Gvura. The world says you want to be strong. You know what strength is about? What strength? Who has the most victims, conquests, the most notches in their belt? What's, how do you define strength? How many people I'm on top of? Leadership. Yeah, what's the, what's the greatest leader? The one who has the most people under them. Judaism says you want to be a leader? Lead yourself. Have the courage to conquer yourself. You don't need any victims to be a leader, to be strong, to be a conqueror, to be a warrior. The world says you want to be a conqueror, you want to be a warrior? It's about who you're conquering outside of yourself. The world places the values outside of ourselves. And Judaism says, you want to be a conqueror? You want to be strong? It's inside. You don't need any other victims. Just adjust yourself. No, no victims necessary. It's all about you. You can be at home alone behind closed doors and be the mightiest human being on the face of the earth because you subdued your inclination at that moment. It's not about going outside and conquering, right? The alpha male conquering someone outside of myself. Right? Jim says, you know what strength is? It's not strength. That's not strength. That's victimization. Strength? It's about you. It's not about somebody else. Why do you have to conquer someone else to be strong? That's a distortion of what strength is. Like the distortion of wisdom is how much you know. It's not about how much you know. It's about hope, how open you are to learning. Strength is not how, who you conquered. It's about how disciplined you are, how, how in control you are of yourself. So what happens? What happens? Where, where did leadership go wrong? Why are there so many scandals? Because the leaders out there, they said, you know what leadership means? I got to conquer someone else. Oh yeah, I have no time to conquer myself. I'm expending all my energies of conquest on the other guy and I forgot about myself. So I'm going to let my own Yetzirah, my own inclination run rampant because I'm so concerned about controlling the other guy. I forgot about controlling myself. We all have a need to control. The question is, who are you controlling? Someone else or yourself? That's why the greatest Jewish leaders of all time never wanted to be leaders. You ever wonder that? Moshe. Oh, he, he was running after leadership? Who's running away from leadership? Who has time to control someone else if you're busy control working on yourself? Jesus says, what is the task of a human being? Work on yourself, be self-disciplined. Conquer yourself, gvura, self-inflicted gvura, in a good way. Who has time to start controlling other people, dictating to other people? Moshe says, I don't want to do it. You're twisting my arm, and God has a pretty tight grip. You're twisting, fine, but that's not... Today's leaders, they run after leadership in the, in the field. Gvura, who am I going to conquer? What about yourself? No, 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 no. Who am I going to conquer? Uh, yourself. No, no, no. Seriously, who am I going to conquer? It's a different look. It's not outside of yourself. It's inside yourself. Does this make sense so far? Okay. Wealth. You know what I say about wealth? Ben Zoma had it wrong, you would think. He doesn't have it wrong. You might think he had it wrong. You know, he says, who is wealthy? He who's happy with his lot. Can I switch around the question? Who is happy? He who is rich. That makes more sense. You ever, okay? Who is happy? Ezehu Sameach Hashir. He says, no, no, no. Who is rich? He who's happy. What? Because that's the point. You know what wealth is not? It's not about how much you own outside of yourself. You know why? Because that limits wealth to certain people. Only someone that has a lot of stuff is wealthy. Judaism, as I mentioned before, democratizes these values. And it puts it in everyone's reach. You can be rich with whatever you have. So long as you're happy with what you have. Otherwise, we're trying to run after this ever elusive fantasy of wealth. And if you have 100, wealth means 200. And if you have 200, wealth means 400. 
And there's no end to it. So long as wealth means something that's outside of myself, we're never going to be happy. It's not a theory. It's not something we heard about. It's not something we saw on TV or saw the neighbors do or read about it somewhere in some obscure blog. We know it. We put the hope of, 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 of happiness in something that we're going to acquire. And we work toward it, toward it, or, or, or vacation. We work toward it, and we, 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 we yearn for it, and we get it, and the high lasts for five minutes. And then it's back. Because the world says you want to be happy, you want to be wealthy, outside yourself, outside, run after something else, it's outside. And Judaism says it's inside. Happiness is inside, wealth is inside. Be happy with what you have, and you're rich. Democratizing the value. Which explains, by the way, as I mentioned a moment ago, without specifically answering the question, why today, despite all we have, we're so miserable. Because the world tells you that no matter what you have, you need more. And wealth means outside, something outside of you, as opposed to something inside of you. If we only took Judaism's values to heart and were happy with what we had, we would be wealthy and happy. It's a fantastic combination. And finally, honor. The world says, you know what honor, what's, what's honor? How many friends you have on Facebook? How many followers you have on your Twitter feed? How many, if your YouTube page, right? How many, how many hits do you have on your website or your blog? Pinterest, Pinterest? What's that? Instagram, that was my camera sound. Instagram followers. Then your honor, honor means what others are outside yourself, out of your control. The world loves taking control out of your hands. You know what honor is? You got to run to someone else. You know what self-esteem means? If other people like you, you have self-esteem. If they didn't like your post, you feel sad. They don't like my post. I posted my dinner and they didn't like it. it. Probably didn't taste good then. But wait, I liked it. Well, no one else did. Self-esteem. What is real self-esteem? Self-esteem. It's not the dignity conferred upon you by others outside of yourself. Judaism democratizes this value and says, you know what dignity is? You know what human dignity is and, and, and honor and dignity is? It's about your dignity toward others. It's a value that you choose to exercise. If you choose to value others, if you choose to honor others, if you choose... To proclaim the dignity, the human dignity, or the divine dignity imprinted on another human being, you've got honor. You've got honor because you're an honorable person. Nothing to do with anybody else. You don't need to be subjugated to anybody else. It's not about what others say about you. It's about what you say about others. It's about what you say about God. It's about what you, how you look at the world. Democratizing the value of honor. Does this make sense? So what's the common theme of the Mishnah? It's that you have the ability to be a superhuman being now. Imagine the qualities. Imagine the list of qualities. Wisdom, strength, wealth, and honor. And you think, okay, well, I know people that are smart. I know that, are, that, have, that have wisdom. I know people that are mighty. I know people that are wealthy. I know people that are honored. But that combination of all four, yeah, right now you can have them. If you're open to learning, if you work on restraining yourself, if you're happy with what you have, and if you look at another human being with dignity, then you're a superhuman being. Which explains why Jews were never bitter and filled, filled with, typically, bitter, filled with rage, wanting to get back at the Egyptians. Wanted, it was never us. You know why? Because when God took us out of Egypt, you know what he said? You're still not free. Until he gave us the Torah. And then he gave us the greatest gift. The gift of understanding what freedom is. Freedom is not being free of Egypt. It's being free of yourself. It's being free of all of those things that we tell ourselves that we need outside of ourselves in order to achieve something else. And Judaism says, it's all about your choice, free choice was mentioned before. It's all about your choice right now. Are you going to be wise, strong, wealthy, and honored? And it's your choice. It's not about Egypt. 
It's not about what they did to you. It's not about what they didn't do to you. It's not what they let you do or not. It's about your choice right now. Judaism, God said, I'm taking you out of Egypt and you're not free until you embrace the Torah and the Torah's values. And the Torah tells you, work on yourself. Make yourself a freer human being. And then you'll achieve freedom. No one else has control over you. The moment you place the keys to your freedom in someone else's hand is the moment you will never be free. You will never walk the world a free man or woman. If you take the keys, you take control over those keys yourself, you'll be free. This is the single greatest gift that God ever gave us. And that's why we're not bitter at the Egyptians. The Egyptians didn't do anything to us. They can't, they don't have control over us. Of course they subjugated us. I don't mean, they, I don't mean literally they didn't do anything. They don't have the power to keep us under lock and key. It's we who have that power. And if we open up that lock, we're free. We freed ourselves of what the world says, the dictates, and the, 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 the conditions of wisdom, of power, of wealth, and of honor, and we own that power. And so that's why it kind of makes sense when Judaism maintains that there's no free man except he who studies Torah. Because otherwise you're trying to run around to control things that you have no control over. And that kind of sounds silly. Does it make sense? Thank you.